0: Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up.
1: If you listen on the Entale app, that's E-N-T-A-L-E, photos, links and videos of what we're talking about will pop up as you listen. Have a look. Hi. Hi, everybody. How are you, Annabelle? Hmm. Well, I'm absolutely fine, but I think I'm going deaf. All I ever seem to do is go, what? What? (laughs) In an increasingly bad-tempered way. But then I had my ears tested with all the high-pitched squeaks, and they said, no, 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 you're fine. And I'm, I'm not fine, it's just either high-pitched ringing or nothing. And also, I can't see anything, so I'm always squinting at my phone, squinting, squinting, so I had my eyes tested. So they said, no, 20-20 vision, you're absolutely fine. <laughs> I'm clearly not absolutely fine. What's going on? Psychosomatic blindness and deafness. I just don't clearly want to see anything or hear anything, which is, I guess, understandable right yeah, now. Yeah, totally.
0: You? Well, I'm absolutely fine, but in a kind of weird woo-woo moment, a couple of... Years ago, I bought some amethyst for anxiety, like a tiny crystal that I carry around in my purse because, um, you know, because life. And uh, and the other day, I smashed it, which yeah, I think what is what the fuck. So now I have a broken, like chipped amethyst for anxiety, which sort of sums everything up everything I've got. Carrying it. your own broken soul in Basically. your handbag. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. So karma is shattered, yeah. and uh, who knows what the fuck is in the post for me. Anyway. I'm so thrilled about this. So way back in the mists of time, that is 2018, this dynamic duo came on our podcast. They are the authors of the best-selling Slay in Your Lane, the Black Girls Bible, an essential guide for girls growing up in this country. And we are not ashamed to say that it opened our eyes and we loved meeting them so much that as soon as there was a whisper of a new book, we booked them in. So yes, Yomi Adigoke and Elizabeth Yuvia Benene are back with Loud Black Girls, an anthology of 20 black British women writers asking what's next and offering a springboard for all loud black girls everywhere. We are absolutely delighted to have them here. How are you guys? I'm absolutely fine,
2: but I haven't had a full night's sleep in a fortnight. (laughs) So other than that, things are okay. You are are
1: talking to the right people.
2: (laughs) Preaching to the choir. (laughs) You're
1: preaching to the choir and this particular member of the choir woke up at four sixteen this morning.
2: Ah, okay, I can't beat that. I was up at like seven. But to be fair I went to bed at like four, so yeah.
0: Whoa. Was that fun or fun or panic? Definitely panic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's a point in life, isn't there, where you're like, oh yeah, I didn't get sleep till three. Fun or panic? Always panic.
0: <laughs> what um, What are you panicking about? I mean, if that's not a too personal
1: <laughs> question. A madly stupid <laughs> question considering everything that's going yeah. on.
0: <laughs> Specifically? <laughs> just a myriad of things.
2: And then, of course, there's always going to be the fact that we're kind of in a once in a generation crisis that kind of underscores that and makes it all the more traumatising. So yeah, just I guess I just, you know, just a nice pick and
0: mix of worries. And Elizabeth, how are you doing?
2: Hardly dare ask.
3: <laughs> I can't top that. Um, I'm absolutely fine, but I really wish my hair stopped doing this weird thing um, that it does and not cooperating. Um, so that's like my bugbear.
0: What What is it doing?
3: It just doesn't listen to me. So oh, how
0: means, rude of it?
3: Yeah, honestly, it just means I've got to keep on putting so many. Amount of product on it. That so that's my kind of bugbear at the moment. Very,
1: very. But don't you find that you can do exactly the same hair ritual one day, Mm. and your hair, you're like, I've got it, I've cracked it, it's working, and you follow it to the letter the next day and some combination of like hormones and the gods and, and I don't know, karma means it just goes incredibly wrong usually when you're about to go on a date or have a big meeting and it's just you you're like I did everything right why are you doing this to your hair basically
3: yeah that's definitely how I feel like it just doesn't doesn't cooperate and it's been 28 years so I'm hoping it you know it chooses to do its thing at some point
1: Oh well, you know we can always hope. What is life without hope? Um. So congratulations, <laughs> on this fantastic book. Because we loved your first book, and your first book really it created an amazing amount of, of of volume, and really it really sort of put you on the map as
2: spokespeople. I think didn't it? Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I think we definitely didn't write the book to become spokespeople. Um, in any sense. Um, we definitely just um wrote it because we felt that there was a problem that needed to be solved. Um. I guess primarily for ourselves. And then, you know, we hoped that it would speak to other young black British women that were facing the same problems, feeling like they couldn't navigate the workplace as well as, you know, the education system, feeling like, you know, their health concerns weren't like, you know, being sort of properly represented. And yeah, that's pretty much honestly what the genesis was. So we didn't really expect, we kind of felt that within the black community and amongst black women specifically, there probably would be, um, you know, because there was a need for the book, there probably would be quite a strong reaction, but we definitely didn't expect for it to go as far as it did outside of the Black community, especially being a book that speaks very specifically to the Black female experience. So absolutely has been just a massive surprise and also um, a a very pleasant one, though, yeah.
1: Mm. I mean, so for anyone who hasn't read Slay in Your Lane, which I highly recommend you do, am I right in saying really it's a very sort of human look at systemic racism and the way that. Black girls in England are disadvantaged at every turn. Yeah, honestly, yeah. So this book sprang out of that book. So what drove you to do this sort of anthology of essays, really? What has happened in the year that your book is coming out? I guess you can't have predicted
2: No, definitely not. We were sort of already kind of looking at the, you know, what's next because Your Lane very much looks to the past and the present um, of, you know, black women's experiences today. But with Lao Black Girls, we were very much kind of, you know, it was post-Brexit, not post-Brexit, but you know, post the Brexit vote, post-Trump in terms of him being elected. And Hopefully. we kind of thought, well, th- yeah, exactly. Now we're hoping post-post-Trump, <laughs> yeah. like really yeah, like yeah. Oh my all, God, the way, all the way out so of there. So far post. Exactly, right. Um, So when we sort of were discussing the idea, like he was obviously still in office, but he'd been elected and Brexit had already sort of been, you know, like announced. So we were kind of like already entering a very new um normal despite the fact that now we're in the newest possible normal we at that point were already discussing like um how different society had become over the past few years um there's obviously been a massive sort of um global um shift to the right um there's been you know just just lots and lots of stuff has been going on and we were very interested in what um the conversation would be in a few years time so it's been yeah kind of the timing's been insane in terms of where we're at now the conversations that the book is having it completely preempted all the conversations that we we're having now but it's very much been because within the black community we have been having certain conversations for several years and um you know obviously the conversations have been brought very much so to the fore by um george floyd's tragic death and the resurgence of the black lives matter movement so yeah it's been it's been really sort of interesting to see how the essays still very much stand the test of time and are still so timely and relevant um despite such a seismic change taking place i think even in the face of like the um Pandemic, it would have been really amazing to obviously have an essay that kind of looked at like the disparities, you know, with COVID deaths or something like that, which obviously we didn't preempt. Yeah. But we do have.
0: Um, Someone nods you know, to it, don't they? Exactly, yes. yeah. And this,
1: it's, I think it's probably yes. this brilliant essay about a black feminist 10 point ish program for transformation. Yes. yes. And she talks about it, about, about the, the fact that, you know, that, that, that COVID has absolutely not been the great leveller that, 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 that it was sort of idiotically predicted to be. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing I like very much in that particular essay, it comes at the top of the essay, is when she talks about the table. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and she said, and she says, and just for our listeners, it says, you know, for a long time, black women have been asking for seats at tables created by toxic people upholding a toxic status quo. When they didn't give us a seat, in the words of Shirley Chisholm, we started bringing a folding chair. But I am sick of this table we keep speaking of. And she's basically saying, we need to build a new table. Mm. Do you think that's happening?
2: I'd say in some sense of the word, for sure. You know, Sienna's essay is incredible. And I think that whole conversation around building a new table and like the need to essentially dismantle the old one is one that's been sort of taking place for some time. And it's a really interesting one because for so many years, as she says and she speaks to, we have sort of, you know, tried to slot in into certain institutions and spaces that just weren't built with us in mind, essentially. Um, I do think that... I always speak about the internet and how that has been, more so than, you know, COVID was predicted to be. Like that definitely has been a leveler in many sort of senses of the word. It definitely has over the years given black women and just minoritized people full stop a platform and a space to be able to have certain conversations, to be able to make themselves heard, to build their own tables, platforms and whatever else. I just think it's something that we're definitely trying to do to create our own spaces. I think. It's just difficult, however, because in order to keep those spaces running and going and healthy, you need funds and you need financial support. And I think what's been really sad to sort of see during um, the pandemic is how many sort of independent spaces and publications have taken a hit. And I think that's something that is very much going to affect. I would. I don't think we've seen the 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 real kind of extent of which that the is damage, going to affect. Yeah. yeah, the damage exactly. I think. Um, I've already seen some spaces and platforms that are very useful taking big hits and I think it is going to massively affect a lot of people and likely minoritised people um, first but I think the attempts to sort of redress that imbalance independently by creating our own spaces building our own figurative tables is definitely taking place and always does and will even you know despite the damage that the recession and pandemic will do.
0: I feel like that it's extremely unfair at the same time to expect people to kind of create their whole other systems in order to thrive. Yeah. I guess the elephant always in the room is that with, with, with the Black
1: Lives Matter this year is the, is the question of some white guilt and that and, and that we meant to go whining and saying what can we do what can we do because there was a lot going on you know when instagram was going mad earlier this year and people were posting black squares and should they have done or shouldn't they have done and there were, there were quite a lot of black people saying don't ask black people what you're meant to do we're already exhausted and traumatized how do you feel about that
3: yeah, I think that there's definitely two types of people when it comes to that conversation. Um, I think, yeah, I have some black friends who are very much like, I want you to ask me what to do. And I, I want open conversations around stuff like this. And then I have, you know, another group of friends that are very much like, you know what, it's actually not my place to keep having to educate and master up resources and curate guides to make you feel more comfortable and to kind of like make you see the humanity in like in a group of people like and I think honestly I think black people and you know the conversation's not we're not really asking for much it isn't rocket science there is no real like it's genuinely like it's it's more simple and so yeah I, I do think that I think for me it just comes down to a like a kind of day-to-day thing if I'm honest like I you know I I wouldn't during that time was probably you know quite hard for a lot of black people because it just felt a lot to be on the internet at that time. So I think that if you know if I had a if I had a white friend who was like. Can you tell me what I should do today to like da da da? And I would have probably, you know, snapped a little bit. But I think you've got I think we've got to have these kind of like uncomfortable conversations and it's more so the how as opposed to like not having it. So yeah, I, I do think that the internet went a bit crazy and I don't know, again, it centered white people, which I understand why it does, because white supremacy is the kind of like the common thread. So I I understand why, it, you know, all these guides and all these things, all these lists started happening, but um ultimately like you know, it goes way beyond that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that when reading the essays over the last few days, the biggest thing that came out for me, apart from how much I was enjoying it, was the idea that when anybody rises to the top, they are suddenly responsible for their whole community in a way that... In terms of
1: representing
0: them. Exactly. In the way that white people, you know, don't have because it just is. If you see what I mean, mm. and um, and I feel that pressure—that pressure in all of the essays to accurately pin down the experience and then navigate that tightrope walk between exactly like you said, Yomi, earlier about fitting in, but at the same time holding your own on behalf of you know who you feel like you want to represent—it's a—it's a—it's a minefield.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. I feel I feel like um, recently I did an interview with um, Issa Rae the writer and um, actress in insecure and she was speaking about the fact that despite it being such a amazingly like sort of celebrated show a show that's probably done more for black representation in like our generation than any other she was talking about the like consistent and constant pressure to be all things to all people not just within the show but you know even as an individual and I think that's something that like I mean we're definitely no (laughs) it's array but with what we've done with Selenio Lane like it's it's similar because you know we often there are there are blind spots in Selenio Lane as there'll be blind spots in any work um and and to be honest in some cases I wouldn't honestly even say they're blind spots I'd say they're things that we wanted to include that we weren't able to because of like limitations or things that we felt nobody that we had interviewed could speak to um but that doesn't mean that somebody else can't write a book on that sort of, on that area. Um, And I think because there is so little, there is a real pressure for, um, you know, the the small amount of work that we do see very visibly in the mainstream from black women to be all things to all black women, to represent all black women in their entirety, whereas to me that's never the answer in my mind like I, I don't particularly when people kind of speak about you know period dramas and sort of being like oh we need to like write in like um, a black character into this show because you know we need it to be diverse to be I don't know like I'm not against that but my preference is I'd actually rather there were more shows that showed pre-colonial Africa and um, showed like you know p- p- period dramas that actually are set in places that have predominantly Black people. Um, I don't necessarily like, or I don't know, I'm, I'm not as keen on feeling that the only representation that matters is us shoehorning ourselves into um, pre existing works and stories. I think that what needs to happen actually is that more minority people are commissioned to create their own shit, really. That's that's what matters to me. And then it's, it's a can write the insecure that she wants that represents a very specific black female experience and everyone else can fill in whatever they see as gaps with their own work. Um I think that's better because I think the pressure is just it doesn't I don't know. I don't Because think otherwise it
1: because otherwise I guess what you're doing is you're sort of politicizing all creativity. Yeah. So it will limit the stories that can be told in a way and the yeah. beauty of them and the and the sort of the magic of them.
2: Yeah, and it's just not all it's not authentic. I think that's the other right, thing yeah. it's just not authentic. Like, you know, we when we were writing Slane Lane, we were like we we want to speak to you know as many sort of trailblazing black british women as we can about certain experiences that we felt we wanted to represent within the book in terms of health in terms of work in terms of education um there are other there are other exper- There's so many experiences that people will have outside that lie outside of the remits of that of those chapters but we're very much like we would rather somebody actually do it justice in another body of work rather than us kind of, you know, cause initially somebody did say, I think we might've said this before, but somebody did say that, have you considered writing Slaying Your Lane to represent BAME women? Have you considered writing it so that it's a bit more broad? And we're like, well, it does a disservice, not just to black women, but to women, non-black women that aren't white either, because then their experiences are being, you know, they become footnotes in like this book or like shoehorned in, it's just not authentic.
1: Yeah. And also, haven't we sort of all had enough of generalisation yeah. when it comes to, you know, racism, sexism, prejudice of any kind? Generalisation just
0: it doesn't help, does it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's the curse of the whataboutism. So everything you go, well, what about this or what about that? Yeah. What about that? And you end up with something so kind of diluted that it, it, it actually no longer says so much. No longer. And that was what was so sort of, yeah, powerful about. Um, slay in your lane and powerful about you know loud black girls is that you allowed everybody to platform their own sort of interests and they didn't have to represent so there was some crossover but it was about the lived experience and the kind of future hopes of each individual um, and that I think that works really well. How do you feel about the term BAME as opposed to Blacks? So I'm looking
1: again at this uh, at this essay where she objects to it. She says, w- aren't you tired of people using women and colour, person of colour, or black and minority ethnic, when they just mean black? How do you feel about that?
3: I would definitely say this is an individual thing, by person, if I'm honest, because Yomi and I have had conversations, like, about the term BAME and yeah we've agreed and we have different kind of like ways to see it and I think in reality I think if you say BAME meaning black then use black if you say BAME because there's a commonality around you know why we're talking about a particular issue then that's fair I think it's when we use BAME and women of colour to erase um, very individual experiences that black women have and all black women are trying to kind of articulate so it does it disservice when we start putting all these terms out there because all it does is kind of like obscure from the reality that you know these are real real kind of like challenging issues and it needs to kind of be spoken on in individual level because how can we if we don't understand the, the problem and why it's very much you know why it's very much about this issue, then we're never gonna kind of like, actually have proper like, you know, insightful and con- conversations that kind of build build out. Because some of the kind of, you know, stereotypes that, you know, for example, black women have and Asian women have are very different. And sometimes, and you know, a lot of it might be kind of like um, directly opposed. So I think that if you mean black, say black
1: didn't you write about that was uh was it you or yomi that wrote about that in your introduction of the book about the sort of over sexualization of black women and the under sexualization of of asian women
2: yeah yeah it yeah. was from a blog post called um the three bears effect yes. where they spoke about yeah how they're diametrically opposed often um in and terms so of... there
0: and therefore the white person ends up in the middle just right i thought that was fascinating yeah, really the white person as, as the perceived norm yeah, yeah. yes so so too hot, too cold,
1: yeah, mm. uh, Samuel your name came out in two thousand and eighteen. we're now in two thousand and twenty. God help us, do you think that things are starting to change in a meaningful way?
2: Mm, um, let me think um in a meaningful way, I think <laughs> I honestly, I honestly don't know if I'm being completely honest, I don't because know because there's
1: volume, yeah, but is there change and
2: there's been volume before, and I think that's something that we forget that the Black Lives Matter movement that's taken place over, I'd say like, the past six or seven years, like it's kind of something that branched off of other movements that predated it. And I think, you know, in terms of volume and mainstreamness, which isn't a word, like it definitely kind of brought to the fore, like lots of conversations that were being had, like um, within activist spaces and intra-communally and stuff like that. Um, but I guess perhaps because I was working in a newsroom, like around the kind of the other iteration that was taking place sort of like in 2013 or 14. i mean i do feel that like there was a point where everyone had black lives matter in their bio like it was it there was that time where you know i guess equivalent almost to the black squares like it was it was it i don't want to pretend that black lives matter didn't get quite mainstream already like as if certain conversations weren't had after eric garner and trayvon martin and sandra bland like they were and i think I don't know. I think when it, when, I guess when you kind of step away from things and, you know, the hysteria dies down in terms of everybody scrambling to like prove that they're not as racist as the, as another white person, you kind of, when you look at it, you kind of see certain factors like lockdown and how that, I guess, exacerbated responses in a way that I don't think people are taking stock of yet. And um, as you were kind of saying about white guilt, like how... A lot of the things that fuel the kind of fervid response is the fact that people just again, it's like they don't want to look a particular way. They don't want to be, you know, chastised or cast out as problematic. So no, everyone wants to be the good yeah. guy, don't they? Exactly. So do what they can to look like they are. Essentially, and, yeah. and
1: also, and also, I guess the worry is, I feel like it's happening creatively. You can see it starting to happen, you know, in in, in literature, on telly. But what about the schools and what about, um, you know, COVID? And what about, you know, that's what I mean on on a level that's a bit less fashionable.
3: Yeah. And I think that's the real challenge It's the everyday stuff. It's yeah. the stuff that keeps kind of like telling you that you, you know, aren't you, you know, you're never going to like amount to anything. And that's done indirectly, directly at school um so the disadvantage and it's it's hard to kind of like i guess really deep it if you deep it a lot like it is very demoralizing and it does feel like a mounting as opposed to you know like you said the more sexy stuff which can feel um more of a gloss but i think what's happened over the black lives matter anyway this summer like anyway i've definitely seen that we are having these kind of like less sexy conversations when it comes to diversity i think pre pre this summer it was easy to kind of just sit on a panel and talk about you know the kind of representation which is really important but and talk about publishing and and all that sort of stuff but i think uh there's things such as you know the curriculum being uh, being more diverse was spoken about more than you know i've been privy to in recent years yeah so i think even you know childbirth and all of these conversations i think it's it's happened more but we're talking about it which is good it raises awareness but how that translates into action is yeah it's a very it's a different conversation
0: Yeah, because to your point about the fact that you're sort of educated to believe that you're not good enough in that same way that, you know, that it's been sort of talked about internalised misogyny and internalised homophobia for the gay community and obviously internalised racism and, you know, internalised misogyny is something that I relate to the idea that you're already told that you're not good enough or that the structures aren't going to support you or whatever. And so therefore you grow up with a kind of self-hate, self-loathing and you, you want to change yourself and you want to be more this or more that or to fit in, etc. And uh, yet yeah, those are the things that need to be attacked right from the root, isn't it? The idea that, you know, somehow, for some reason, we are not good enough. And that, that, there's the battle, isn't it? Because actually, as soon as we feel good enough, we're freer in that way, aren't we? Well, you mean confidence? Yes. Giving, yes, confidence. I know, yeah.
1: Hope, I suppose, as yeah. well. Yeah,
0: which is what your book, I think, really offers... Um, and that's really exciting because you're basically saying, you know... The idea of a way is, forward. Yeah, exactly. The The idea of a way forward, but also here we are in all of our glory as opposed to, you know, this is one way.
1: Because you were the loud black girls at university, weren't you?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, confidence, I think there's a definite crisis of confidence amongst young people, young women in particular, and then young, like, minority women, black women, like, even more so. And I think... Um, confidence on women is often read a particular way, then confidence um, within black women is definitely read in a certain way. Um, you know, even speaking to the point about being like, um, posited as the loud, too loud to black um, freshers at university and stuff like that. Like, um, I think it's partly why, despite all the statistics that we had in the first book, we definitely tried to offset it with, you know, um, I don't know like optimism and and stories of triumph because I guess I didn't really I mean speaking personally I didn't really grow up with a knowledge to be honest of systemic racism like I very much understood racism in the kind of dictionary definition like and and as you know I always say like no dogs no blacks no Irish racism like I didn't really understand it on a systemic or institutional level and I think it's brilliant that we do nowadays um somewhat more and that people are kind of engaging with the data and statistics but also that can bog if you're like a young person it can bog you down quite a bit and make you feel that your path is already you know finite and set for you so i think it was really important for us to kind of you know um you know offset it with the stories of success and triumph despite all the odds and against all the odds and i think with um loud black girls it's very much black women speaking to their experiences um but at the end of the day, those the writers that we've um, sort of commissioned are amazingly talented. They've got a, lot, a great deal to say and are doing um, wonderfully. And I feel that, mo- like, pretty much all of the essays, regardless of what they're talking about, they do have that sort of thread of optimism and pushing forward. And just, I don't feel like it's kind of people um, musing and lamenting about how difficult things are without any kind of, like... Um, because at the end of the day, sometimes it can feel insurmountable, but all of us are still here doing what it is we need to do. We're all still here pushing forward. And I feel like that's very much um, a constant theme in the book.
1: Mm-hmm. When you approached all these sort of glorious writers, did you say... Here is basically our platform, use your voice. Did you say write whatever you want to say, pretty much?
3: Yeah, I think that was definitely the brief. The brief is very much like no brief. Um and, and I think that was what was so magical about the essays that we got back. Um and I think that's what's really, really kind of like special about each one. They're so different, and we, you know, we had a fear that, you know, everybody would write the same thing or kind of like center around the same kind of like theme. And so we asked everybody to kind of like just, you know, tell us what they would want to write so we can just make sure that, you know we don't have like five essays on the same subject
1: what's next for you guys
3: um i think at the moment we're just focusing on um loud black girls honestly i think yeah. it um i think that's just where our focus is
1: and, and so would you describe yourself as 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 activists or or speakers or sort of you know you're you i mean i would say that you're both you're you've become an authority now how so when people say you know what do you do and why do you do it what's your answer to that
2: um i'd say that i definitely wouldn't personally identify as an activist (laughs) I, i really don't i feel like it's it's just not i feel like um it's just not what i do like i i wouldn't say i feel like our work is um you know it definitely speaks to certain injustices and tries to shine a light on them and you know foster certain conversations but i think activism is a very strong word that's being used very lightly um so i don't i don't personally identify as an activist at all but i do Feel, and, I, and I think it is, I don't know, I think it's difficult to feel like an authority on anything, even when it is your own experience, just because there are so many people with, you know, within the black community, within the black female population that have different experiences. So, yeah, I think at least when it comes to work with Selena Lane, like, it's very much we do our best to shine a light on certain conversations and experiences as best as we can but we understand that there will be just like there are with anybody limitations to what we can do in terms of um, having like and fostering certain conversations but we do our best um, and I think we're very proud of doing our best but I think it's just it still feels quite new to be honest Um, even though you know this has been going on for a couple of years like it still feels like quite a new you know space to be entering that's why we lend our platform to so many others and help have other people speak also because we know that we definitely aren't like experts on anything
1: thank you so much for coming on and um and good luck good luck good luck with the book which is out thank so it's you. loud black girls out on the 1st of october and um and i just hope that you guys have got really high hopes for it because yeah. we loved it thank you so much thanks so much for having us You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of the Middleult. Our book, "I'm Absolutely Fine," is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe.
0: And we'll just leave you with this thought. Karma will see you now.